So this is today. Today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today. You traveled through time to the present. Yes. Yeah, I don't think you get how time travel works. It's like we're stuck. You know, like a, like a needle on a scratch record. I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing where the same day keeps happening. Time. in a damn time loop or something well it's groundhog day again and that must mean that i'm professor robert e.g black and i'm here with evan from left of the projector here to discuss groundhog day again thank you for having me still i am always discussing groundhog day oh yeah welcome <laughs> thank you thank you this is uh one of my favorite movies so Always happy to discuss it. It's been been a little while. Nice. Yeah, I haven't watched the whole movie since February, but I have seen the movie many, 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 many times. I was trying to think if I had this on VHS as a kid, but I don't think I did. I think I just always rented it from the video store Mm. for you out there who remember such a, a thing. Yes. The Warehouse, Music Plus, Blockbuster. Yeah, we had it. We had one called like the local one was called Rocky's Video. And yeah, they, you know, the Blockbuster competitor until they put them out of business. Yeah. And then eventually Blockbuster got put out of business too by Netflix, which is now sort of dying itself. (laughs) Yeah. that's okay as long as stuff's still out there like we'll get to time loop of the week later but i just say yesterday because of all the streaming things i have i watch la jete the 12 monkeys tv show episode lullaby and the movie 12 monkeys yeah i think that was three different services (laughs) yeah yeah it would be nice if there was a little consolidation yeah what we need is something like cable (laughs) without the commercial wait i guess we have that already yeah it'll circle right back to basically the same format it used to be because it has to. So I'm assuming you've seen this movie many times. Indeed, yes, yes. I, I would say as many times in the last couple of years, but there, yeah, there was a period where I would watch this all the time. Same. <laughs> Maybe not as many times, but I, I saw it <laughs> as a kid. I remember watching it a lot. And, and then like over the years, each time I would notice something new. Even this last week, I noticed things that are I new. still notice new things, which is awesome. And, and I think also coming from a memory of watching it on TV sometimes where you wouldn't always come in from the beginning. Uh, I didn't yeah. really remember the very opening scene, mm. you know, where he's doing the weather cast. I had just gone out of my head. <laughs> this movie is the reason I dislike when people exaggerate as to how many times they've seen something. And they're like, I've seen that hundreds of times. I'm like, really? How often do you watch it? I'm like, well, it's been a while. I'm like, yeah, you didn't watch it hundreds of times. I know what hundreds of times feels like. And nope. I assume you did your homework and knew I watched this every day for a year. Yes, I did. Okay, good. I'm not just talking past you. No, no, I got you. So we are at his news report on day two, the first repetition of the day. His report word-wise is pretty good, but his tone is a little off because he's not there. 
And as the minute starts, he is just saying, uh, he was just about to tell us how much more winter we can expect. And he's kind of losing his grip on the microphone. He doesn't like this. He's confused. Yeah. As you would be. At this point, he, he should, in reality, he should have figured out that something is actually happening by now. But in the movie, it's only been like a couple scenes. So he's still kind of not getting it. Yes. And of course, he's never going to know why. So he will never actually get it. If only he had seen Groundhog Day. Right. Or if he just watched Star Trek The Next Generation. (laughs) Cause and effect. He thinks he's in the Typhon Expanse. Yeah. In the final revision of the script, technically the shooting script, it still had the scene from Danny Rubin's original where the groundhog gets away from its handler and runs across the stage and... The only remnant of that we have in the movie is when later Phil tells Larry, maybe we'll set up over here. They never actually put the camera there in the movie. And that groundhog running away part, I guess when they filmed it, it didn't work. Too hard to keep doing it, probably. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it's hard to get a groundhog to do exactly the same thing over and over. They did at least attempt it once because there is a behind the scenes shot of it's what I use as a logo for this show. Bill Murray with his microphone down to the groundhog. And that might have been fake. It's just a still. It could have been a promotional shot. Yeah. So they might never have even tried to film it, but it was still in the script that he was going to, in his report here, say, we're about to see Punk's Tony Phil, run out of here. I think he says, like, burp, look around, run over here. And Rita is over there freaking out. She's like, what is he on about? And then it does it. And she's impressed. Jumping in from editing, because I was conflating a few different versions of the script myself in trying to explain what was still left. Ruben's original. Phil says... In just a moment, we will see the groundhog peek its head out of the hole here on Gobbler's Knob, look left, look right, step out of the hole, run around to this side, look at the crowd, burp, and run back into the ground. And Rita says, we're fired. In the second revision, as part of his report now, Phil says, my forecast is we're going to see the groundhog peek its head out of its hole, look around a little bit, then he's going to come out and scamper right over to me. And Rita whispers to Larry, he's lost his mind. The third version is a little bit more of the original, back in. He says, my forecast is we're going to see the groundhog peek its head out of its hole, look around a little bit. Then he's going to come out, scamper over to this general area, look at the crowd for a second, make a little burping noise, and run back into the ground. And Rita whispers to Larry, that's it, I'm going to kill him. By the final revision of the script, Phil doesn't say any of that, but what he does is after he says, who's just about to tell us how much more winter we can expect, the script says, as the proceedings continue... Phil begins pushing into the crowd, walking away from the camera toward the spot where the groundhog ran the day before. And Larry whispers to Rita, where is he going? And Rita says urgently, I don't know, follow him, let's go. So it all kind of got confused. The line I'm about to quote from it, though, is from the final version. Anyway, back to me. In the movie, it's more he's just losing it, and so his thing ends abruptly. I feel like that would have been... I mean, to this point in the movie, there aren't, I mean, it's, there's funny moments, yeah. but I feel like that would have been somehow off, off kilter isn't the right word, sort of like off character, off brand somehow for that scene to have unfold that way. I don't know. Maybe I would have loved Well, it. yeah, we don't need the local, we don't need reality to be weird. Yes. We just need Phil to be weird. Right. He's the wild card. Yeah. I think it works better that they pull out the groundhog. It all goes great. There is a good line in there, though, when he does get the mic to the groundhog, he says, since I have you here, I got to ask, is this shadow thing legit or did you just look at satellite photos like the rest of us? That's a funny line. Which is kind of funny. So they do pull out the groundhog. They're doing their whole spiel and we hear Rita in the background. This is a riot. Aw, isn't he cute? Which she 
probably shouldn't be talking so close to the camera and the microphone. I guess they could turn the mic off. But also they shouldn't turn the mic off because they're filming this for the news. <laughs> Meanwhile, Phil is looking around the crowd. We get close-ups on him as he's doing it. Once again, Ramus is more concerned with Phil's reactions than what he's reacting to. So we don't see the crowd in this moment, which isn't that bad. But when Ramus keeps doing that, it bugs me. That's basically how my movies by minutes shows go is as they go, I get annoyed with the director. It's fair enough. And then eventually loop back around to loving them. Because you see, the quirks are way too obvious when you go slow. Yeah, I was going to say, especially if you're watching that minute a bunch of times and also having seen it a bunch of times, uh-huh, right. you know, something annoys you that you can't unsee, like it's programmed into you now. Right. And I get what kind of director Ramus was. He came out of improv. He wants to be there for the faces. He wants Bill Murray front and center being confused, being funny. He loves just a basic shot of two people talking. So he won't get a lot of different angles, which is cool. You know, it's consistent, but it's not that interesting as a filmmaking thing. And so we get Buster announcing from the scroll this February at 7.20 and 30 seconds, Punxsutawney Phil, seer of seers, prognosticator of prognosticators, emerged reluctantly. And by this point, Phil has dropped the mic and walked away. (laughs) So Rita has to call after him, Phil, as Buster finishes butt alertly in Punxsutawney. In the second revision of the script, Larry turns the camera back to where Phil's supposed to be. Phil's not there. And Rita steps in and says, for Channel 9 News, this is Rita Hansen and Punxsutawney. <laughs> so she takes over in this moment because she's the producer. She's got to make sure something gets back to the station. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing we don't need. Yeah. And so then we cut away from Gobbler's Knob to the bathroom, the shower. This is in the script that he is supposed to take the shower again on this day because even though he clearly has a good memory... He forgot about the shower. And so he freaks out at the cold water again. It, it, it almost his like shout in this one feels more. Uh, I don't know. It, he's, he seems more alarmed by it. I don't know. I, I'd have to listen to them like almost back to back to hear the shout. It might be like the last straw. Interesting. I will insert them both right that now. That would be a cool thing to say. But yeah, maybe it's just this is the last straw is finally at the end of the day. He's like, whatever is going on, I'm taking a shower. And then the same thing happens in the showers last night where he couldn't. I mean, that feels like a relatable thing where you, you know, you have like a faucet in your, you know, something that's hot when you when it gets too hot has been on you touch and you're like, oh, it burns. And then you do it again, like another day, forgetting. Yeah. So his head is just spinning now at this point. <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. Well, and it's like the Caleb thing from yesterday. It was his first night in this place. And then there was a cold shower. Well, actually, I guess the, now this would be his third night, sort of, that he's going into. But he's only taken the shower twice. Yeah, he's still going to be surprised. And that's good. The movie has demonstrated that he has a good memory and he's still a human. <laughs> yeah, right. But presumably the last shower he'll take. <laughs> yeah. He will take a bath later. Yes. But that's earlier in the day. So there's probably warm water for that. Yes. They haven't used it all up yet. So then we cut to his bedroom. I think this is on purpose. And now that I've looked it up, I made a joke about it in my blog, but the time is 404. And I think it's actually a reference to a 404 error because that error was defined in 1992 by uh, Tim Berners-Lee, which would have been right as they were filming this. 
404 error is the first four for possible client error, spelling something wrong. Zero is for a general syntax error. The second four is just it didn't find what it was looking for because of those errors. There are many other times where you see the clock in his room, except for when he wakes up, other than the moment later when he's with Rita and she thinks it's going to be midnight. I think it's like 11.59. So clearly they are playing, you know, that that has to be an intentional ode to it. Yeah. And at one point someone was like, how late do we see? And I'm like, well, we don't know it's 4.04 a.m. It could be 4.04 p.m. But the window outside the shower was very dark. So this is 4.04 a.m., not p.m. And you would think that there would still have been hot water at 4.04 p.m.? True. Probably. Yeah. Maybe. Unless everyone came back from Gobbler's Knob and went straight to take a shower. Even then, it would have warmed up again by 4.04. Yeah. And he's on the phone with an operator who he's immediately demeaning to by calling him sport. Yeah. Which is just Phil's thing, is he is casually rude to everybody no until later in some of the later loops you don't i guess you don't know how far he's rude in really all of them to somebody at some point uh-huh well even the end even like the day where he's supposedly a better person he's still sarcastic but it's almost it's nice and funny it's a little bit endearing yeah early in the movie it always feels mean-spirited and i think that comes down to bill murray's portrayals depending on the scene he can deliver something almost the exact same way and you'll feel it a different way Yeah, because of context. But that's one thing I didn't remember maybe from my remembering of it as a kid is how mean he was. I mean, later when I saw it as a, you know more of an adult, uh-huh. I noticed it. But as a kid, you don't realize how mean he is. And he really is mean. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. the opening scene, he calls Nan hairdo. Like that's all she is. Yeah, he's the guy who has nicknames for every single person. Everywhere. Yeah. We don't hear this operator, but I assume they sounded young. So he calls him sport, treating him like a kid who should be doing something for him. Because he's a celebrity. In an emergency. Right. And he says, I know there's a blizzard. When are the long distance lines going to be repaired? And at this point, he takes some number of aspirin from a bottle in his hand as the operator responds. And he says, well, what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. It seems like him delivering that line to say, you know, there wasn't one today. Yeah. I wonder if like the shower, like the double shower, like he obviously relived the whole day. We don't know what he's doing between when he leaves Gobbler's Knob to the shower, where he goes, if he's just in his room freaking out. Right. But it seems like the shower is like the jolting moment of like, crap, what something is happening. Yeah. And he's considering now this could happen tomorrow too. Clearly this was real. Or I am so disconnected from reality that it still might happen again. He's self-aware enough in the moment. And he says hello. And then we hear the click of the person hanging up. They've decided immediately. They're done. And then he says hello again. And then he hangs up the handset and returns the phone to underneath the side table. And that is the end of the minute. So the other segment we have in the show, Time Loop of the Week. Most of life is just junk, right? It's it's filler. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. Though I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Ever think about it, we must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today. 
That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time. Time. The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time. What if we found Time. them all? All the perfect things in this one town, in this one day, we could collect them. I will do my separate one first because it's really just one detail I wanted to comment on. I watched just a couple days ago the episode from Cloak and Dagger season one called Lotus Eaters. I forgot a lot of the context because that show was several years ago now, but this lab is going to explode or it did explode eight years ago. Tandy and Tyrone go into the head of this guy who's basically been catatonic ever since. He was the only person who survived. And they find out that he is repeating the couple minutes right before the explosion over and over and has been doing so for eight years. So he is in this condition where this is his reality now. He doesn't really remember the stuff before. And when they show up, he's like, whoa, something new. Something new. Something delightfully, incredibly, wonderfully new. And you talk. (laughs) What a time to be alive. He's kind of excited and confused. But the moment I really like comes later because he gets a phone call from the main character, Tandy. Her father worked with the lab and died the same day. She hasn't seen him in eight years, but he's the one calling this guy on the phone. So she starts answering the phone to talk to her father either eight years ago or in the imagination of her or this guy, whether it's real or not, is not that important to the emotional version of what she's experiencing. Tyrone leaves and then comes back. She's now repeating like that guy doing this thing over and over. And the doctor who was there before is now so ingrained in his repetitive action of what he's doing that he's not interacting with them anymore. He has now sort of exited the loop, the experience of the loop and is now part of the loop because she's in there and he's basically just doing the same stuff over and over and paying no attention to them now, just like the other workers who all act like zombies. It's a similar reaction to what Bill had when something is finally different. I feel like that's how anyone would react after being in a loop. Yeah. Anything different is good. Yeah. And I like that idea because a a big thing about time loop movies is it's usually someone who is stuck in a rut or is a bad person who gets in this loop, whether the movie tells you this or not, they're experiencing this because they need to make a change in their life. They need to experience the moment better or whatever, however you want to put it. Mm -hmm. And this doctor stops doing that which doesn't happen in many time loop stories because they don't have the multiple characters interacting in different ways with the loop. And so I like that aspect of it. Now, your time loop of the week was settled on the film version of 12 Monkeys. Yes. Which, of course, is inspired by the French short film, La Jete. Yep. And basically has the same plot, just more detailed version of it about time travel. Different rules a little bit. Yeah. And then the TV show version of 12 Monkeys has even more rules because they had to make an ongoing story, but they do have a very specific time loop episode where they go back in time to kill the person who invented time travel. Yes. And briefly, that breaks time. And so the loop repeats and repeats. Later, the person they're supposed to kill, who also sent them there to kill her, is like, yeah, you weren't repeating time. It, was, it wasn't time telling you something. The machine just broke for a second. Whatever. Yeah. The, the show is super complicated. Yes. I think. It's, it's Because time itself has opinions. Yeah. And things it wants done is how they operate. Whether it's true or not, it's how they operate and it generally works because that's the way the show is set up. Yeah. And pre- presumably, you know, you have multiple seasons. You've got to expand your universe a bit. Oh, yeah. So, and they did. And essentially, the episode concludes 
sort of with the notion that, yes, time needed her daughter to die in that moment and for her to invent time travel because of that so that all this other stuff could happen. And, you know, spoilers for a show that was on years ago. They end up letting her think her daughter died. And as soon as she leaves the room, they revive the daughter, fix the actual problem that she had wrong and take her away so that she can reunite with her in the present, which is the future. Yeah. And so she lost a couple decades of time with her daughter, but her daughter's alive. And because she thought her daughter was dead, she invented time travel and all of this other stuff still happened. Little paradox and they got around it. Now the movie, there is no paradox. Like La Jete, it is all, everything happened as it happened. It's really just a matter of when characters realize it. Yes. I rewatched it also because I hadn't seen it in a bit. It's a, it's a very, the rules are limited. Yeah. I mean, makes sense in a movie, you know, it's kind of the constraints of a two hour movie, but yeah, I I always loved that movie too as a, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's basically if listeners, you haven't seen 12 monkeys, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Please do. Bruce Willis comes back from the future or he might be insane. And I love that the movie teases that just long enough. And he is there because a plague killed 5 billion people in 1996. He is coming back not to stop it. They just need a sample of the disease at the time there was an outbreak so they can create like a vaccine for the people in the future. They don't treat it as something they can stop. Correct. The TV show is a little different. That's where that changes. Right. And basically that's the plot is then there's a psychiatrist that ends up helping him when at first she's the one who gets him locked up in a mental hospital. Brad Pitt. He was very good. Playing the crazy person who might be responsible for it, the leader of the army of 12 monkeys. And yeah, the act, the performances are all really nice. And the feel of, I love the interaction of the two main characters, Madeline Stowe and Bruce Willis, is that from the f- beginning of the movie, he is from the future, is quite sure of it, and she doesn't believe him. By the end of the movie, she is the one really sure about everything. And he has now kind of lost his faith in what's going on. As he kind of gets more convinced this is the present and he's wrong. And and she changes her research based on this, which we then kind of discover is that the reason the plague even happens is because, well, I I don't want to take away talking if you're talking about the plot, but he influences the doctor who then influences Brad Pitt's character, who then influences the actual perpetrator of the virus. So it's like this chain reaction. He doesn't go back in time. It doesn't happen. Right. Which is, but it happens. Yeah. So he goes back in time. Yeah. It's, it's so, and, yeah. I, and I love the scene in the airport is one of my favorite. Mo- it's just such, it's such a cool shot. That's basically the whole, most of what Logite is, is this guy in the future has this very specific memory as a kid of right before the plague happened or no, it was world war three in the short film. And because he has this very clear memory, that's why they can use him for this experiment. They use memory to transport people back. And he remembers this moment at an airport where he saw a guy die. And then we keep getting flashes of the same scene in 12 Monkeys, where he saw this guy. We don't know who it is because we see him from the back. We see that he's got a mustache, I think from an angle. He looks different than he actually would. Spoilers for a movie from the 90s. That's Bruce Willis with a wig and a mustache because he's trying to not get caught by the cops, which is a great setup. Oh, so good. That's the reason he doesn't recognize that it's him he saw die as a kid without the disguise i don't think he has the memory doesn't work he couldn't be the person in the experiment presumably right he would remember it different or once he yeah once he knows what he looks like in the present it would mess with his memory and it wouldn't work the same way so it's playing on memory as well so he ties into tomorrow's show 
and I really love the end of the movie. Not just that whole airport scene of like the death and like that slowing down of it because this is that memory he's been remembering the whole time, but also she knows now what moment they're in. And as he dies, she looks around for the kid version. So the whole reason he remembers it is he saw a guy die and he saw this beautiful woman who looks over at him. And then he's the reason that beautiful woman looks over at him because she knows what just happened. So it's all very poetic. It is. I I just, I mean, even the slow motion is very poetic Mm -hmm. in that sense. It's such a, I feel like that was always a scene I really remembered. Uh, Obviously the plot in general, but that, that scene is just so cool. Which I guess is the point. They wanted to make that scene memorable for us too. So we would understand why he remembers it from when he was a kid. Yeah. That's memorable. Seeing a guy get gunned down in the middle of the airport, kind of memorable, but also this woman then looks directly at you that sticks that in your head forever. Yeah. I mean, it's very in Terry Gilliam style, you know, the, especially I I think of like Brazil as a, the style of that is a very similar, Yes, even like the, the other thing, I think similar themes too. Yeah, that's true. But the, the, his, I don't know if it's in some of the, the scenes where Cole goes, you know, uh, goes back in time or back in time that's like the filtering of the color of like the just the way you see maybe it's because you're meant to have to differentiate you know like in movies where they well in the movie we'll talk about tomorrow they have the different hairs to give you the signifier so it's the same right you have to kind of have these little glimpses to remind the viewer where they are mm-hmm. yeah hmm. which i think the last time i watched this movie was just a few years ago but i forgot that it looked so old like shot on film and a little grainier than I'm used to with newer movies now. This is one of the first times recently where a movie actually looked old to me, hmm. but in a good way. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that's the, maybe that's what and you're I think, especially the on. stuff in the nineties is filmed that way. And the stuff in the future is like this more fisheye lens kind of thing where everything's a little off kilter and nothing quite fits together as it shows it's all a little bizarre. The future is very Terry Gilliam. Exactly. Yes. And well, this, I don't know what context I saw something in. Maybe I was doing some research when I was doing the Truman show, or maybe it was a different film where it, before they had digital filming, you know, the actual film material was, was precious. You couldn't do 50 takes of something because you had right. to take, it cost more money and more time and more production. So mm-hmm. you wonder if movies from that era pre digital, could they have, you know, now would you get more shots? To get a different view. Right. I sometimes think about whether, you know, uh, Terry Gillum, but we know, did he get the right shot? You know, he had five takes, let's say, but now you could do 10. Yeah. And he probably had to storyboard a lot of it to make sure he could do it just right. And now we're getting, going to get to a point soon because we have 360 degree cameras, but they have a weird warp at certain angles. Once they figure out how to use an AI, doing yesterday, to control for that warp, you, will essentially be able to film a scene by just putting this camera in the room with the actors and filming. And then you'd figure out your angles later. Wow. Basically like 3D tracked 3D model of the room. And we're already sort of there. It can't get great detail, especially if they're moving a lot. Yeah. I I wondered, uh, so I I just rewatched Avatar and I'm thinking, you know, he basically invented, James Cameron invented new technology for, you know, his films. Yeah. I, I could see him coming up with some new way to use that kind of technology. I haven't seen reports of what he did, but I'm pretty sure he and his brother invented new stuff for the new Avatar he did, movie yeah. coming out this year. Yep, he did. Again, they get patents on new equipment. They get awards for it. At, you know, the technical Oscars. He and his brother, that's what they do. Just like for Titanic, he actually went in a submarine down to the bottom of the ocean because he's into that kind of stuff. Which I think he had to fund himself, that portion. Probably, yeah. 
So yeah, 12 monkeys. I, I don't want to go into the more detail of the plot. Cause if you haven't seen it, go watch please, it and enjoy that. Yeah. And then maybe go it, to the show. It actually doesn't matter that the ending is spoiled. Yeah. You, you know, the ending the first. fun is that it still all works. Just like that one moment. I will mention this when she goes and makes the phone call mm-hmm. and she's so excited. Cause it was just a cleaning company. And she comes back and she's like, yeah, wait till they get the voicemail where they hear this lady saying this and this. And he cuts in with the rest of what she said, because that's exactly the voicemail they got in the future. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a voicemail to them. It was just happened to be the voicemail they'd found. And she's the reason they think the army of 12 monkeys did it, because that's what he knows because of the recording of her saying it. And it's it's brilliant. (laughs) Really is. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. So I guess that's our time loop of the week. It's Cloak and Dagger, Lajite. 12 monkeys and 12 monkeys 12 monkeys and 12 monkeys yeah so evan if people want to hear you talk about other movies where do they look yeah so you can check it out at uh so left the projector is the podcast it's fairly new about two months old you can get it on spotify or apple Podcasts, or you can check it out at the left of the projector.buzzsprout.com and you know hear us talk about movies from a leftist perspective And I haven't put this into the outro for this show yet, so I will mention before the outro plays, I have a new show every Friday called The First Syllable, which is basically me brainstorming for my screenplay idea for my time loop story. So if you really like time loops like I do, you can listen to that show as well. Thank you for listening. The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. And you can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or which comes again and again. Laugh, laugh, laughing. Like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day? Yeah, you know Groundhog Day is not a documentary. save the world can't leave anything to chance but can we change things if we do it differently what's happened's happened which is an expression of faith in the mechanics of the world it's not an excuse to do nothing fate call it what you want what do you call it? reality